So what I want to do this morning is really just share from my heart three things that God is teaching me coming out of this um, sabbatical season. And I, I kind of want to take it from the top because there are newer people who are coming to the church or maybe even joining us online. And maybe people who are asking the question like, uh, what is a sabbatical? Like, I don't even know what that is, let alone what the last six weeks was about. So let me just take it from the top and start there. A sabbatical is not a vacation, though Lauren and I did take some time for travel, um, first for a, a conference, a senior pastor and wife's conference that the GCC does each year, and then second, over Thanksgiving, we took a trip to be with her family. But a sabbatical is this, it's time away from the routine responsibilities of ministry, and it's for targeted growth and correction and care. So it's time away from the routine responsibilities of ministry for targeted growth, correction, and care. And uh, the past six weeks has really been instrumental in helping me to pull away from those regular ministry responsibilities so that I can focus on becoming a stronger and a healthier leader and a shepherd. I spent over a six-week period, where did the time go? Well, I spent a lot of time with God in prayer Jesus is the primary focus of any sabbatical. Also reading the Bible, reading through First uh, and Second uh, Samuel, the story of David and Nehemiah, uh, and so a lot of time in God's Word, read some helpful books, and met with leaders from our church planning network for targeted care. So that is what a sabbatical is, and that's what happens uh, on a sabbatical. So the next question would be, well, what prompted this sabbatical? And I think the easiest way to describe it would be to use a, a familiar thing that happens in our lives. The, the check engine light will come on in your car, right? And when the check engine light comes on, you immediately start to wonder, all right, well, what code is it and how much is this going to cost me to fix, right? So sometimes if you don't really hear the clunking or, or feel that something's wrong with the car, it's not pulling or anything, you just kind of leave the check engine light on for a while, right? We, um, like most of you, are, are in this weird car market right now where buying a new car is a lot of money, buying a used car is a lot of money, so we're trying to stretch our cars as far as they will go, right? But we somehow managed to acquire this, uh, this I'll show you a picture of it, this 2002 Volvo because we needed one more car and we didn't want to spend a lot of money. So we bought this car and um, despite the guy telling us that it's a great car in great condition, right away we smelled gas when we were driving it. That's a problem. Then my daughter was driving it, and two of the tires were falling off while she was driving it. And then when she was on her way to church one Sunday, the car just died in the middle of the road. All right? So you can't ignore the check engine light at that point. So we took it into the Volvo dealership, and they've had it for three weeks. Three weeks. The guy finally called me, and he said, it's ready for pickup. And I said, is it? Like, is it safe? And he said this, well, let me read the red comments. So he read the red comments and he said, yep, we found and fixed all the critical repairs. So the, the check engine light was, was really on in my heart for a few years and it was on for too long and it was time to find and fix any critical repairs. When it comes to the need to just... Um, just go in and get some targeted care, it was showing up in, in just a struggle to lead and shepherd well and effectively, feeling like I couldn't get my battery charged back, you know, even over 50%. And so therefore, there was this ongoing battle to stay motivated and even to be loving with people. And the thing is, I didn't exactly know why. I was open about the struggle. 
And um, Lauren even mentioned to me a few times, like, you should ask for some time off. And I was like, well, I can't do that. You know, me and Thomas are the only pastors. Ken and I had some open discussions about my heart. And, and so it was determined that we really didn't know what it was, but we knew that it needed to get addressed. And so Ken reached out to the GCC and started telling them what was going on. And they said, look, if your pastor needs care, uh, do it now. Just do it. And so that's what prompted this sabbatical. Uh, the check engine light was on, and we're going to find and fix any critical repairs. Now, what happened during the sabbatical to bring that, that targeted um, care and correction? Well, it began with the senior pastor and wives retreat, where we went with 80 other couples who were church planners in our network, and that's a scheduled thing every year. And there's where we talked to the GCC guys who were involved in planning this. And so we scheduled a two-day counseling retreat down in Austin, and then a follow-up call in uh, Indianapolis. And many of you know Garrett Higby. He's done a lot of our soul care training. He was involved in the follow-up. Then another guy named Lee Lewis uh, was involved on the front end. So we went down to Austin for this counseling retreat, and it's really an amazing program. It's a two-day thing that they do, um, and they, they, they talk you through a whole like life map, and it's, it's really powerful. Um, some people have asked while we were in this process, like, wait, was this like marriage counseling? Was it your marriage that needed work? And that's not it at all. Our marriage is wonderful. None of this was about um, marriage counseling. This was about learning to lead and shepherd well. That's what it was all about. So we went down to the counseling uh, retreat, and man, for, on Monday, we spent nine hours where he talked us through my life map, start to finish, childhood, adolescence, adulthood, ministry. Then he went into Lauren in the afternoon, tell me about your life, the whole life. Imagine nine hours of laying out your whole life story so that he can just know your whole story. Then the second day was 10 hours, and that was digging into the life map and saying, okay, what do we see here? And we learned so much. It was really incredible and overwhelming. After we got back, we had Thanksgiving dinner with my family. So they were like, well, what are you doing on this sabbatical? And I said, well, here's what we do into this counseling. We did a life map. We talked about our, our whole life. And my sister was sitting next to me, right? Just me and her. I have one sister. And so after I told her about that, she goes, wait, so you were like doing that where you talked about your, your whole life, like your childhood and everything? And I said, yeah, my childhood and everything. And she said, well, what did they say? And I looked at her and I said, well, they told me that my sister caused all of my problems in life. <laughs> she said, shut up. So we had a little laugh about that. But I said, no, no, no. I said, the focus was on how God made me and um, the upbringing that he gave me and then how I learned to relate to him and to other people and how Lauren learned to relate to him and other people. And then uh, they looked for, on the second day, patterns and blind spots and areas that God wants to transform in the heart. We discovered several areas to really zero in on, and they said these are areas that can be repaired and replenished and restored, some of them quickly, others over time. Uh, so they're developing a six-month follow-up plan to help put these things into practice. So in a nutshell, uh, that is what happened. We had a follow-up conversation with Garrett and then a couple of meetings with the elders to present all of this, but that's what happened over the last six weeks. So we thought about, well, what should the sermon be today? And part of me was like, well, it's Christmas. Let's do a Christmas sermon. But then I, you know, I thought, no, no, I've, I've really got to lay out the big three things that God has been teaching me through this sabbatical. And so that's really, the sermon today is different. It's, it's more of a testimonial, sharing from my heart uh, type of sermon. And I think it's really going to be a blessing uh, for you, for all of us. So uh, let me pray, and then I'll share some reflections from my heart. 
Father in heaven, it's great to be back, and I'm so thankful for your church, for all these wonderful people, and um, for this short season away, to come back on a new path with new spiritual strength and wellness. And I ask that you would use this sermon, Lord, to display your presence and your work in my heart and in our church. Lord, I'm so thankful for this opportunity, above all, over the last six weeks to get with you, to invite you to do a new thing, a new work, to prompt a new song in my heart. And while this is just the beginning, I pray that you would help everyone, O Lord, to see the progress that you are making. We thank you, Lord, and we pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so this is a topical sermon, so you, you can just write the verses down as we go through it, though I'll be projected on the screen. Here's the biggest first thing that really God is teaching me. Number one, God is teaching me to become an emotionally healthy leader. God is teaching me to become an emotionally healthy leader. Uh, I'm learning how I'm wired, and I've known for a long time, I'm, I'm very rational, and I am not very emotional. And maybe you can relate to me. Maybe, maybe you have that same struggle, that same bent, right? Where you're like very rational, very factual, not super emotional. Or maybe you have the opposite, um, as I do. Maybe you're highly emotional, and part of what God does in your heart is helps you to kind of channel all of that. But for me, I'm super rational, ve- not very emotional, very much a fact-truth person. And because of that, when there are emotional issues that can't be ignored in my heart, <clears throat> what I do is I ignore them <laughs> because I'm more of a rational person, right? Well, that can only go on for so long before there are deep problems beneath the surface. When we were at the Senior Pastor and Wise Retreat, Pastor Robbie Simons from a church in Canada, Oakville, shared a good illustration about what was going on in his life. He said he felt like there was just this huge clog in his soul. And he said, you know, when a clog is in the drain... Uh, the longer you wait, he said, the more ugly and hairy and smelly and slimy and black and gross it gets. And he said, then it takes something, a force to dislodge it so that the clean water can flow freely. And he had shared a testimony of how that had happened in his heart, how he felt super clogged up and the God and God had done a work to just really dislodge all of that and to get the spirit of God moving freely through him. And that was really a blessing to hear because that's where I felt like I was. Um, and I think when, when I don't have an emotionally healthy relationship with God, when there's something clogging the soul, it really affects everything. It affects how I parent, it affects how I'm a husband, and here, how I lead and shepherd well, because there's a clog. Um, and so, I, one of the best things I discovered on this, Pastor Mark had given me a book called The, the Emotionally Healthy Leader, and it was written by a um, pastor, and this pastor Uh, shared his testimony in this book. He, He was pastor of a big church, but in this book, here's what he says. For nearly two decades, I had ignored the emotional component in my spiritual growth and relationship with God. It didn't matter how many books I might read or how much I devoted myself to prayer. I would remain stuck in repeated cycles of pain and immaturity unless and until I allowed Jesus Christ to transform aspects of my life that were deep beneath the surface. So his book, The Emotionally Healthy Leader, is a testimony of how he wasn't an emotionally healthy leader. And he got up in front of his congregation and said, hey, I've been ministering for 20 years, and I'm finally ready to learn what it means to be emotionally healthy. And what a blessing that book has been to me. So when it comes to being an emotionally healthy leader, Psalm 139, 23 to 24 says this, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. 
And I wonder if it's a time in your life where you can, uh, where you can feel that too. You feel like there is a clog or there's, there's something emotionally between you and God that's just stuck. And Psalm 139 is really precious because it's inviting God to do the inspection. It's inviting God to do the diagnosis because you don't want to stay stuck anymore. Now, what exactly does it mean to become an emotionally healthy leader? I was meeting with a young pastor yesterday, a youth pastor who was in town, and I told him what was going on in my life, and I said, yeah, I'm learning to become an emotionally healthy leader. And he said, what does that mean? (laughs) I'm like, well, listen to the sermon tomorrow. Uh, But jot this down. Here's what it means. He wants me to trust him with everything that's in my heart. He wants me to trust him with everything that's in my heart. Uh, Now, David was a highly emotional person who wrote most of the Psalms, And David knew not just how to talk to God about everything in his heart, he knew how to sing to God, right, about everything in his heart, which is truly a blessing. Even when David felt unhealthy, even when David, if you know some of his life stories where he was in a foreign land pretending to be crazy before, like even when he was beyond borderline insanity, David knew how to talk to God about all of his feelings. And in Psalm 62, 8, he says this, trust in him at all times, O people. I like this. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. So uh, a few months ago, I opened our refrigerator, and apparently when we had moved in, something wasn't set right in the refrigerator. One of the shelves was not quite right, but we didn't know it. So we packed all this stuff in there, and little by little, I didn't know it, but the shelf was giving way. So finally one morning, I was in a hurry, and I was supposed to put something in the fridge and go to work. I opened the fridge door, put something on the shelf. Everything in the refrigerator spilled out onto the ground. The eggs, the salsa, the leftovers, and it happened like that. I'm suddenly sitting there with sour cream on my jeans like, what just happened? The fridge attacked me. Then I figured it out. There was a shelf that was off, uh, but the one shelf took the other shelf with it. I told Lauren, I'm going to be late today. Now look, that's what it means to pour out your heart to God. The door opens and everything falls out. But it's on God, right? But it's on God. And that was not what I was doing. And so because I wasn't pouring out my heart to God, I was really forcing a lot of feelings I didn't know how to deal with into a closet door. And, you know, then they start banging because they want to get out. Um, So one of the exercises we did at this counseling retreat was they said that uh, they want us to write a psalm after the first day, and the idea was to just pour out your heart to God. And so I thought, you know what I'm going to do? In my my prayer journal, what I I did was I said, I'm going to, on one side of my psalm, I'm going to write all of the stuff that's in my heart. I mean, if it's faithless, if it's sinful, if it's fearful, if it's doubtful, if it's resentful of God, if it's in there, I'm going to write it down. And I got to tell you, by the, by the time I got to the bottom of writing down what was truly in my heart, I was like, I got to repent. I mean, this is such nonsense that I've been allowing to stay in the fridge and one thing after another, and when you, when you put it all down, and I, I'd really invite you to do this, just write out how you're really feeling about life and God and work, everything. Just write it out. Don't filter it. And then what I did was I forced myself to go back through it, and if I wrote a, a sentence that was like by doubt or fear, I finished it by faith. And that was my psalm. It was, here's the nonsense, but I'm filling all of it in by faith. And when I read, I was like in tears. I was like, wow, this, this is a lot that has been 
floating around in there. So God wants me to trust him with everything in my heart. And because I wasn't, there, there was a deficit, first of all, vertically, right? Whatever was going on horizontally was a reflection of vertically. There was a big deficit in how I was uh, relating to God. So I had to re- repent of that and truly invite God to, uh, to get these things that had taken root out and to get me to a healthy place on the inside. So God's teaching me to become an emotionally healthy leader. That means he wants me to trust him with everything in my heart. And then next, write this down, he wants me to heal pain. He wants to heal painful past experiences. He wants to heal painful past experiences. So you probably feel this too, but there are those things, just the routine challenges of life, and you know, you can put those in the closet and they want to get out, but you just don't let them out. But then, then there are the big problems. Then there are the, the wounds from your past. They don't fit in the closet, right? They won't go in there, uh, and the harder you try and get them out of the picture, the more they clamor for your attention. And there were definitely some really big wounds from the past few years in ministry that weren't healing properly, and so they had far more power to affect me in life than I was, than I was understanding. And I'll, I'll share directly a few of those that most of you are aware of, but in our church planting movement um, several years ago, you know, we were launched out of Harvest Bible Chapel, and James McDonald was the pastor there, and my relationship to him went all the way back to when I was a new Christian, and I listened to Moody Radio, right? And that's how I got my primary discipleship. So then to get to the point where I was a pastor, then I spent eight months training at his church and, and, you know, then helping the church planting organization up there at Harvest to plant more churches. I mean, the relationship there was so strong and special. So when, when, like me, all of you watched several years ago when he just went down in flames, I mean, not a little, all the way, all the way down, front page of the Chicago Tribune stuff. Um, there was just such a detonation in my heart and such a wound. Um, and and that, that was a deep, deep pain. And because immediately all of us pastors got to work launching the GCC to try and save our network, and because he took a very negative posture toward that and actually tried to stop us from doing that, there was never a point where we said, we got to talk about this. We got we to heal from this. In fact, we invited a couple from a Harvest Church in Traverse City to be our advocates, and that means they were down there with us. And when I started opening up about this, that Pastor Doug, we were both just, we were having a moment there. He's like, I haven't processed any of this either. I said, I know, we should just have a big meeting where we all sit together and figure out what that did to us. So that's an example of a wound, uh, a, a broken bone that wasn't healing right. And then most of you know that um, our affection for Ravi Zacharias and RZIM we had built a relationship with that organization where I was partnering with them to write apologetics curriculum, and I was connected with all of their staff. I mean, it was, again, a very tight strategic partnership, and he went down even worse. He went down even worse, and the problem there is no, no one saw it there. Such a dark and depraved man who fooled everyone and again, in my earliest years of faith, in my college years, I'm listening on the radio and forming my soul, and now we're doing ministry together and writing curriculum, and then, and then, and then, Lord, what is this? Lord, what is this? And I don't know if you've been through a mentor failing you or falling or several of them, but really the pain is indescribable and unimaginable, and th- those wounds, if they don't heal right, 
will, will haunt you. Uh, and, and that's what was going on in my heart. And um, there were other ministry events in our church as well in the past that had led to tremendous pain and fallout. These wounds had tremendous power to drag me down, and I hadn't worked through them. Psalm 34, 18 is a tremendous encouragement if you can empathize with what I was feeling. It says this, The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. God wants to be near, and He wants to sit down with us, especially with those traumatizing things from the past that we just don't even know what to do with. There was a woman in our church several years ago who got into a car accident and broke several bones and spent time in the hospital. We visited her, um, and uh, boy, just seeing somebody who had like in several places on her body, broken bones, and then the, the long agonizing time in the hospital, and then finally she gets released, right? And then while she was doing follow-ups, they found out that some of the bones hadn't healed properly, and they actually had to re-break some to reset them. And after watching her go through all that, then to think that she has to start over in a few of these spots, it seemed like, why would a doctor do that, right? And I think that sometimes as Christians, when we haven't healed correctly, uh, God has to break it again, and He has to reset it. And it's, it's not the pain you want, but it is, it is definitely the pain you need. So uh, that He wants to heal painful past experiences. He wants me to trust Him with everything in my heart. And then jot this down. He wants me to own the responsibility to develop leaders, to develop leaders. So when it comes to emotional health, when you get hurt, when I, when I get hurt and then I get stuck and there's a clog... Um, and if I don't heal, then I'm not leading. And if I'm not leading, then that burden falls on other people, and then they begin to get unhealthy and to get overwhelmed. So, so I'm learning that being healthy means you, I can't stay frozen. I have to trust God. And that's a big thing that came out of this was, you know, if, if I was wrong in trusting this person, if I was wrong in trusting this person, if I was wrong in hiring this person, then how can I, how can I trust myself? And how can I lead other people to trust people? There was, there was just all of this frozenness that was going on. And that, that primarily fell upon um, Ken. And I, I just apologized to him through this process and said, you know, I didn't realize how affected I was by this. And I didn't even see, though he tried to share it, how overwhelmed he was because I was not leading correctly. And I asked for his forgiveness for that. Nehemiah, reading through that book, was so powerful. He never stopped leading. He never stopped leading. It doesn't matter what happened. When you read through the book of Nehemiah, he's always leading. It doesn't matter what's coming against him. It doesn't matter his, when he hits the rock bottom. It doesn't matter if he has a mountain. To, he never stops leading. And that's one of the treasures of that book. So I think God was really challenged me to not stay frozen. You have to heal and you have to lead. That's the first big takeaway I had. God's teaching me to become an emotionally healthy leader. That means he wants me to trust him with everything in my heart to heal painful past experiences, and I have to own the responsibility to, to develop leaders. The second thing you can jot down is this. God is teaching me to shepherd others with the grace and mercy that he shows me. He's teaching me to shepherd others with the grace and mercy he shows me. So because I'm not super emotional, I'm definitely more of a truth guy instead of a grace guy. One of the patterns that came up as we kind of looked through my life was... Um, Lee kind of uh, told us, look, it seems like in emotional situations, you primarily become more of a referee. 
emotionally. Like you're, you're not really engaged. You're more like sorting things out and, um, you know, helping people to mediate what's going on. And he said, you know, there are times when that's necessary, where you do need to be the mediator in the room, but more often than not, in emotional situations, you have to be a pastor, not a referee. And that was super convicting. Uh, it was like, in emotional situations, I can't just have a flag and a whistle, you know, like, foul, nope, that was too far, whistle, whistle, it's, it's very detached. Uh, that has to be put down, and the, the shepherd's staff has to be um, picked up, and maybe even the rod, um, but really, you're a shepherd, not a referee. And that was really eye-opening. Um, God's teaching me to shepherd others with the grace and mercy that he shows me. And you can jot this down. He's challenged me to grow um, my EQ. So Garrett kind of um, dug in on this, and maybe you've heard this phrase before, but IQ is like your brain, your intellectual capacity. EQ is your emotional capacity, your emotional awareness. And Emotional awareness means being able to take stock of yourself before going into a meeting. You know, am I agitated? Am I distracted? Am I engaged? Especially if there's a conflict that has to be sorted out. And then um, also being, being able to sort through another person. How are they feeling? Why are they feeling this way? And then to come together in a way that promotes true, deep empathy. It's not just a, a problem to fix. It's not just something to quickly get through a bypass. It's really a, a chance to, to grow and build loving relationships with other people. So that's, that's called the EQ. And because of how I'm wired, there's just a long way to go in, in learning how to uh, relate to God and to other people that way. Um, and then Galatians 6.2 is a really good verse that speaks to this. It says this, Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. So making this a priority, making it a priority to say, hey, I really want to grow in my ability to emotionally understand and connect with people, that's never really been something that's been like a stated goal, you know? That's never really been something that's like, this is one of the highest priorities on my list, is learning to grow as a shepherd. And so he's challenge, challenging me to grow my EQ. The next one, jot this down, is he's teaching me to be gentle like Jesus. He's teaching me to be gentle like Jesus. So you remember when Jesus met the woman at the well, um, back then, you didn't, men really didn't have private or public conversations with women who weren't their wives like that. It would be considered indiscreet. In addition, a um, woman who was, uh, you know, she had five husbands, you know what I mean? She's got a reputation. So Jesus was talking to this woman. She was a Samaritan also, which means they were from different kind of ethnic makeups. All of that gave Jesus the chance to, first of all, just ignore her, um, but he didn't. And second, it gave him a chance to just really crush her, but he didn't. He had a great conversation with her. He was very careful, and he didn't condemn her, even though this is a woman who had had five husbands and was now living with a man who wasn't her husband. Um, that's a pretty surprising track record today, even though our culture has changed in this area. Back then, it was just outright scandalous. This woman would have had no social standing, and uh, for Jesus to be talking to her alone, watch out. He was so loving, he was so careful, he wasn't in a hurry, and that just really ministers to me, because God wants me to be gentle like Jesus. And others during this time noticed that I was just really struggling with a short fuse. 
I seem to be more irritable um, or withdrawn. And then there were like kind of shepherding misses, like an opportunity to minister to somebody that I, that I missed. And so uh, I wasn't being gentle like Jesus. And in 1 Thessalonians 2, 7, this is a great verse. Paul says, but we were gently among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. Now that's a beautiful picture. A, a grown man describing his ministry to this church, and he's like, what parallel can I draw from? Like a nursing mother, like a nursing mother. When you think about a nursing mother, um, that is love given to the child that is slow, stationary, and selfless. Slow, stationary, and selfless. And I thought that's really the gentleness of Christ. And even though Paul, he was not a weak man, he was a gentle man. And that's just a powerful image there. He's teaching me to be gentle like Jesus. And then, jot this down, he's teaching me to humbly repair broken relationships. God's teaching me to shepherd others with the grace and mercy that he shows me. So humbly repair broken relationships. It begins by, by being approachable and not getting angry if things have to slow down, to care for people who are struggling. Um, and then if there are problems in relationships, to circle back to humbly repair those broken relationships. In Hebrews 12, 14, it says, strive for peace with everyone. Strive for peace with everyone. So we have to, when we have the opportunity to, to circle back to a relationship, I have to learn to be patient while we sort through all the issues and, and then to circle back and make sure that we can um, reconcile and talk through things when things haven't gone well. And I would just say this, I really want to work on being approachable. And so uh, maybe, maybe there are some people here today who might feel like I've somehow overlooked you um, or maybe even hurt you in some way, um, and maybe I don't know about it. And I just want you to know that when I, when I find out that that's happened, I truly am sorry, and I have uh, a heart to want to make that right. And so I just love the chance to have a discussion with any of you if you feel like there was a miss or a conversation that didn't go well. Um, and I would just love to have that opportunity with you to apologize and circle back um, to repair broken relationships. So God is, God is teaching me to shepherd others with the grace and mercy that he shows me. He's challenged me to grow my EQ, teaching me to be gentle like Jesus, and teaching me to humbly repair broken relationships. Um, and then the first thing was teaching me to become an emotionally healthy leader. And here's the third one. The third one is God is teaching me to turn away from unhealthy cycles of sin and weakness. Unhealthy cycles of sin and weakness. Here's what this means. It's not enough to say, oh, that conversation went bad. I'm going to go back and fix it. Done. Well, right, but that's part of a pattern. And so Lee really helped to dig down on, you, you have to see how your actions string together when you are going into a bad place because you'll follow a pattern of unhealth, and if you can't get the pattern discovered, then you can't invite targeted accountability. And you might fix things here and there, but you really won't get to the heart of the whole pattern. So um, finding out how it all ties together is important. And Lee was very clear to say, when we, when we figure out patterns of behavior and patterns of relationship, it's never, to, it's never to condemn a Christian. It's never to say, look at how terrible of a person you are. 
He said we figure out these patterns um, to free you, to free you from hang-ups that hurt you and that hurt other people. That's God's heart. God's heart is to free you from these patterns that are unhealthy and um, cycles of sin and weakness. In Galatians 5.16, it says this, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. As Christians, if we walk by the Spirit, it means we are allowing God's Spirit and Word to govern our every move. But if we walk in what's called the flesh, it means that we have allowed doubt or fear or sin to be our, our direction, our compass. And that's what it means to walk in the flesh. And it, when you see a Christian walking in the flesh, it doesn't mean that they're not a Christian anymore. It means that they have to stop, they have to put off the ways of the flesh, and they have to put on the ways of the Spirit. So that's, that's what it means when it's an unhealthy cycle of sin and weakness. And it's important to discover how, the beginning, the middle, and the end of an unhealthy cycle because we act differently at each stage. So I, I wrote this down. In the beginning, I need to anchor in God's presence. Anchor in God's presence. So for me, getting off the wrong path starts with being like Martha instead of like Mary. You remember the story where Mary sat at Jesus' feet, where Martha got to work because a lot of people were coming over. Uh, in the early stages where things haven't really spiraled far bad, it's, it's, it's that Martha temptation to get to work and to get moving and to not abide in the presence of Jesus. That affects how I plan things. That affects how I um, lead and manage. <clears throat> and so if, if I'm like Martha in the beginning then I'm not anchored in God's presence. And that's, that's how at the beginning I start down the path of the flesh. And um, one, of my, one of my most convicting memories is when we were launching our phase two building program here, a lot of money to raise, a lot of spreadsheets, a lot of all this planning went into it. And we're going to you know, do all the HVAC and the gym floor and the parking lot. Had, then we made these folders and printed them. And then I was going to visit with Lauren every small group so that we can present the phase two and say, hey, we'd love for you guys to get on board with this. So in one of the first small groups we visited, I had the folders, I passed it out, I went through the whole thing, made a compelling case, and then one woman raised her hand, I said, yes. She said, Pastor, what's the prayer plan? And I said, we don't have one. <laughs> and I'm realizing right now that that's a gigantic problem. And she's like, oh, okay. I said, I'll get on that. So convicting, right? So convicting uh, Martha, Martha, you are worried about many things, but only one is required, and that is essential. So that's where I can invite targeted accountability from the staff and the elders, and I can say, hey, when we're at the beginning of something and I'm getting really fired up about a great plan, challenge me to slow down. Challenge me to pray about it. Uh, challenge me to involve other people in it. In the beginning, I need to anchor in God's presence. And then jot this down. In the middle, I need to expect and embrace problems. In the middle, I need to expect and embrace problems. So I love to move fast. I love to have a strategy. I love to coordinate. Uh, and so I have to count on problems, and I have to expect that some people will need to pull over because maybe we're moving too fast, or maybe they fell behind. Some people will also fall into sin. Um, some people will even hurt the church and some people will even try to destroy the church. And there is absolutely no way for me to prevent that from happening. I have to be okay with that because it happened in Jesus' ministry and Paul's ministry. It happened to every leader in Scripture. So when that comes, I have to be willing to slow down, 
to not get angry with people or God, and to embrace when it's time to focus on relationships. I think that I felt convicted because in uh, John 7, Jesus' brothers, they spoke without faith. They didn't believe in him. Um, But what they said really convicted me. There was a big national fest going on, and Jesus didn't even go. And they said, what are you doing here? Uh, What they said to him was, no one works in secret when he wants to be known. Show yourself to the world. And while I don't say that out of a lack of faith, there's this desire in me to say, Jesus, get moving. Show yourself to the world. Let's make progress here. Why is this so slow? Why, aren't, why isn't the progress going along? Why are things getting in the way of it? Jesus, show yourself to the world. And I can imagine Jesus just smiling at his brothers. Two, for sure, who would eventually become followers of him. And just like, they have no idea. Uh, The way of Christ is not the flashy progress at all costs, fruit that's always abundant. Uh, Jesus was fine with obscurity. Jesus was fine with problems. Jesus was fine with being rejected. Jesus was fine with being crucified. He rose again and he rules the world now. His way is better. His way is much better. So when I sense this in the middle, hey, we can't slow down. We, I've got to expect and embrace problems. And you can see how this isn't just horizontally like me struggling with people. This is really me wrestling with God. I'm disagreeing with God on the pace or, or the outcome or the fruit, right? And that's where it's, it's really a worship disorder in the middle. So in the beginning, if I'm really a Martha, and then if in the middle, I'm kind of like Jesus' brother's, and then if that doesn't get taken care of and I don't invite targeted accountability, then it dumps me off at the end. At the end, I need to press on with hope. At the end, I need to press on with hope. It was surprising to see that really at the end of an unhealthy, sinful pattern for me, I actually get really passive, which is not like me. But here's what makes it so hard to detect, because then I just go and get active in other areas. So the areas that need healing or reconciliation or prayer... I just walk away. And, and then I get active somewhere else and it looks like things are really exciting again and I'm well, but, but I'm not. So at the end, I have to press on, especially in those areas of pain and frustration with hope. Um, if there are problems I can't solve or people I can't change or circumstances I can't control, if there are things within myself that I can't explain, I can't freeze, I can't withdraw, I have to trust God and move forward. Um, And I want to close by sharing that God really met me in many powerful ways throughout these six weeks. And um, these are just three things that I'm sharing with you that God is teaching me. And I could could really share for a very long time. But this, this book, The Emotionally Healthy Leader, next to the Bible was the most powerful tool that God used in my heart. While I was reading this book, There were um, several eye-opening moments, powerful realizations. I felt like God was speaking directly to me in this book. Then I got to page 132, and the author uses these scenarios with people that he knew, like Bob had a problem, and here's what Bob did. And so he had gone through several of those, and then on page 132, I'm going to read you what he wrote. Let me tell you about a man named Ryan, who was a pastor. I'm like, huh? (laughs) Pastor Ryan loves pastoring people. He knows he needs to learn some new skills for leadership. Nonetheless, 
His larger, more far-reaching problem is not external, it's internal. He has few spiritual practices that allow Jesus access into his interior life. He's not practicing solitude or silence or spending time simply meeting with Jesus. Ryan is skimming. And I was like, whoo! <laughs> goes on. Ryan needs a wider range of spiritual practices to position himself for a deep, beneath-the-surface transformation of his life in Christ. He needs an overhaul of the way he follows and immerses himself in the love of Jesus. If Ryan summons the courage to take this journey, he will very likely experience a revelatory insight into who he is, who God is, and a radical turning to Jesus and a deep transformation of his life. I just put the book down and I was like, I get it, God. I know it's going to take time, but could it be any clearer? <laughs> could it be any clearer? So I hope this has been an encouragement to you. Um, Jesus, our great shepherd, is shepherding me, your pastor. He's at work in ways inside of me that really have laid dormant for a long time. Um, I'm thankful to you and to the elders for, for your patience because, like I said, some of these areas right away you can spot and fix, but a lot of them tie back to entrenched patterns and habits for decades, and so those things don't change overnight. So I really appreciate your prayers and your patience um, in the months and the years ahead, uh, but really I'm committed to being transformed, to being a healthy, uh, fruitful, devoted leader, and I'm thankful that God is committed to helping me get there. Well, hey, let me close in prayer. Jesus, I'm so grateful that you promised that you'll never leave us and you'll never forsake us. Uh, Jesus, I'm thankful that, um, as the Apostle Paul said, not that I have already been made perfect, but I, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Thank you, Lord, that you're not, you're not done with me. You're not done with us. You're not done with our church. And I appreciate your grace, your truth, Lord, I just invite you and each one of us to do this shepherding work. This is what we do here. We become followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's about that. And I'm sure everyone can relate to having those emotional blocks, those painful things from the past, and even those, those shameful patterns in their life where they, they know that they're not acting in the Spirit and they have to ask for forgiveness. This is the gospel. And I thank you, Jesus, that we are called to experience the gospel again and again and to share this and show this to the entire world. We're thankful for your grace and for your love and for your truth. We pray that your spirit would move in our congregation in powerful ways. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.